on this professional production, this high-class, high-end, with all this uh, expensive equipment, professional radio show that we produce called The Radical Agenda. And why don't we go ahead and check in on Ann Coulter, because she's, uh, you know, she's, uh, she's a fun broad. That's it, it's over. Then we organized the death squads for the people who wrecked America. You know what you call people you can't talk to? Enemies. And if we want to divide our society into armed camps of enmity, all we have to do is keep doing what we're doing. A radical agenda the event has turned into an opportunity for the left to push a racial and radical agenda. Implementing their radical agenda is the only thing they care about. They're bad actors. What they want to do here is ram their radical agenda down your throat. These are great Americans. These are people that want to see great things for the country. You know, they try and build them like they're of a radical agenda. It's not a radical agenda. It's called the Second Amendment. All right, on with it. Welcome to the Radical Agenda, a show about timeless ideas and news of the day, and whatever's on your mind at 217-688-1433. Yes, this agenda is quite radical, and welcome to it. This 52nd episode of the Sixth Stage of the Pogrom. Today is January 26, 2024 is the current year. It's a Friday, as usual, and we are coming to you live once again from my undisclosed location where, ladies and gentlemen, Five members in agenda binary. That means all of you, you know. Uh, you know, I keep on remarking on a few recent episodes about the complete opposite of something I had <laughs> remarked in prior weeks. The, the news just keeps on getting more interesting, you know. And interestingly enough, <laughs> that has done nothing at all to help the news business. <laughs> and I take so much joy in their pain, you know, that I don't know how to pronounce this. I read it on the page as schadenfreude. I don't know if that's really a thing, but, you know, taking, you know, a perverse pleasure in the suffering of others, it's not something that I usually think of as a, you know, as a, as a positive trait, you know, it's a character flaw. You know, if you, if you look at other people suffering and you're like, that's fantastic, you know, generally speaking, that's not a sign of, you know, you being a healthy, well-adjusted person, you know. But I have a decidedly different view of it when it comes to the Lugan press. I got to tell you, I, I really don't. It's not just that I lack sympathy for them, you know. It's, you know, when they suffer, it's I'm not a religious guy, but, you know, you could interpret it as the hand of God, you know. It's like it's justice being visited upon the wicked, you know. And there seems to be a lot of that going around, you know. Though doubts frequently enter the picture, I am driven in no small part by the conviction that the truth of our cause will in due course assure our victory. To win, ultimately, we need only sustain the fight long enough for the other side to fail, goes the thinking. Their failure is inevitable because their their goals, (laughs) their gods too, but their goals are at odds with reality and so they can't conceivably be brought to fruition. It's a matter of pure physics, of course. You know, their failure does not translate directly to our victory, right? They might not accomplish their goals, but they can destroy humanity in their efforts to do so. And for some, like, that actually does appear to actually be the goal. That might be what they're doing, they're trying to accomplish. Much of what causes the current hysterical behavior of the press and their the people that they're in service to, is the knowledge that their grip on power is very fragile. 
They felt so secure as recently as 2015. They thought nothing could stop them, right? They just thought, yeah, of course men become women and go into the bathroom with your daughter. Why would you dare question that? We tell you what reality is, and that is the definition of the truth. They believe that. But as the Trump campaign gained steam and the media tried to smear him for a Nazi, they miscalculated This time around, they didn't just call the opposition racist. It wasn't like they had done, you know, with prior Republican candidates for office. This time, they elevated the racists to prominence as a means by which to prove that Donald Trump was causing this phenomenon. And the results justifiably brought them a great deal of fear, you know, the public, far from rejecting Trump because of the racists, began to embrace the racists because of Trump by saying that Trump says the same things as these racists. The media told the population that the racists were not so bad after all. The public, they have not fully internalized this realization, but sentiments such as fake news and migrants poisoning the blood of the country, these are now widely held opinions. Particularly regarding the media, this is quite troublesome. It's quite a troublesome shift for those who rely on a deceptive information matrix to maintain their control. This began to unfold while Trump was still president. As people turned off CNN and MSNBC, even Democrats realized that these had ceased to be credible sources of information and they either began, they either began tuning into Fox News or tuning out entirely. Then came massive layoffs at news outlets and bankruptcies and buyouts. These have come in several waves over the following years, and a new wave of layoffs is underway right now. Time magazine is about to lay off 15% of its unionized uh, editorial staff. Condé Nast, the parent company of once prestigious publications, including Vanity Fair, Vogue, and GQ, announced it would be laying off some 20% of its unionized workforce. In response, hundreds of employees of the company staged a walkout because apparently in their warped minds, the best way to keep your job is not to do it. Silly though that may seem on its face, it kind of holds water if you think about it, right? Considering how poorly the job has been done, after all. Perhaps if they did nothing at all, they could avoid further embarrassment and exist as mere parasites that do not work so hard to kill the host. The Los Angeles Times is laying off some 20% of its newsroom. The paper's billionaire owner put his 28-year-old daughter in charge of the publication some years ago. She has used it as an activist project and completely ruined its once prestigious reputation. This predictably resulted in revenue losses, and now they are firing the people who they need the most while keeping the activism part going full steam. Even Business Insider, hardly the worst defender is laying off 8% of its workforce. Sports Illustrated, which once you might recall, they covered sports. It's kind of the idea. 
and they published a very popular swimsuit issue, had, like many sports publications, likewise made the decision to become an activist project for left-wing fanatics. They supported Colin Kaepernick's anti-police stunts taking a knee in 2016. They put a transgender model on the cover of the swimsuit issue. Predictably, this did not work out in the best interests of the company. The weekly print publication became bi-weekly in 2018 as a consequence of these stupid tricks. Then circulation was reduced to monthly in 2020. They just kept on going, and they recently just announced they would be laying off their entire staff and would be licensing their content from an outside firm going forward. CNN, no stranger to failure in recent years, apparently learned nothing from the failure of CNN+. Plus. Mark Thompson, CEO of the company after replacing Chris Licht, recently sent out a memo to employees stating that CNN would be focusing more on its digital products and its cable news division going forward, which will be facing new cuts. This, of course, follows on the least trusted name in news, firing much of its evening news lineup for making absolute fools of themselves. So the powers that be, you know, they can kick me off of YouTube, but they can't force you to buy a transgender swimsuit magazine or watch Chris Cuomo fillet his brother on television. They can use a newspaper to push an activist narrative of the world, but they cannot force people to buy it or believe the nonsense published. And when that comes to pass and the information stranglehold is broken, the dominoes, they just fall one right after the other. Nikki Haley is now facing calls to drop out of the Republican presidential primary. Prior to airtime, they had rescinded the, the, the mention of this. But the RNC had been considering naming Trump the presumptive nom- nominee before the South Carolina primary even re- arrived, just to shut this debacle down. Reed Hoffman, founder of LinkedIn, financier of the Unite the Right lawsuit in large part, And, of course, among Haley's more noteworthy Democrat financiers, recently announced that he would be turning off the money spigot after his millions of dollars turned out to be wasted and failed to accomplish anything in Iowa and New Hampshire. Americans have had it with this nonsense, and nothing the forces of darkness can do can make them accept the program. In a recent poll, 55% of Republicans who consider themselves, quote, MAGA Republicans say that they want Trump to use his presidential powers to take vengeance on his opposition. That might be shocking only in that the number is not higher. More surprising is the fact that 30% of Republicans who do not identify as MAGA themselves feel exactly the same way. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas has shocked the world and your humble correspondent, not least of all, by, pardon the pun, standing his ground against the Biden administration. 25 Republican governors have said that they support Texas in their bid to defy federal efforts to reopen the southern border. I read just before airtime that Oklahoma will be sending their National Guard there. 
The Biden administration has issued a deadline stating that it will nationalize the Texas National Guard and any other sent there to deprive Abbott of control. And the governors of other U.S. states are discussing sending their National Guard to aid Texas in the face of that. And all involved are very cautious not to say what will happen if Biden follows through on the threat. And as I've said recently elsewhere, you know, what you don't say is sometimes as important as what you do, right? What are you going to do if Biden nationalizes your National Guard and, and says that you don't command them anymore? Well, you know, we really hope that he doesn't do that. Well, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe they hope that he doesn't do it. Or maybe the answer to the question is we're going to tell them not to do it and we're going to shoot at these motherfuckers. And that is not something that you'd want to say on television in advance of the shooting, of course, you know, because that would be that's not advantageous to your strategic position. Perhaps that will be the moment that they cave. Or perhaps they will issue contrary orders and see who the gunmen obey. If it is the latter, then civil war is all but inevitable. And that's actually okay with much of the country. As it turns out, they're no longer fooled, you know. They know that's not a woman on the swimsuit magazine. They know that Trump wasn't working for Vladimir Putin. They know that Hunter Biden was the bagman to facilitate Joe's enrichment from his blackmailers in Ukraine, who are now depriving our military and our treasury of the resources that we need to sustain our own country so that they can lose a war to a superior foe. And because they know these things, they know that the purpose of the National Guard and Border Patrol is to protect against, not to aid and abet, an evasion. And so it goes one after another. You know, you lie, people stop believing you, your business is destroyed, and you lose your political power. And if you try to regain it again by force, you die. 217-688-1433. You like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Phone's lit already. Caller, you're on the radical agenda. What's your agenda? Hey. Hey, buddy. Yeah, can you hear me? Oh, hey, 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 hey. Yes, Mr. Cantwell. I'm sorry. I'm first, uh, first time caller, long time listener. Welcome to the uh, program. I, I was actually laughing because. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my in laws actually ended their uh, national or National Geographic um, subscription after <laughs> something thirty years because I made fun of them and I so they always left it on the front table when you walked into their house and then there was the training issue and I was like that's transsexual on your table right there they did they, uh, they I didn't like even know about this so so National Geographic they did a transgender issue and <laughs> that's yeah how, a transgender child a transgender child, child in National yeah. Geographic yes. Oh my God! Um, yeah, on the front cover. Oh my God! <laughs> but that—that that wasn't. Yeah, that wasn't even who I called. But that was a, just a, a funny one. I, I had I had, I had two comments, and then I had one thing I'd like to discuss with you, which is related to Texas. Okay. Uh, the the first comment was um was just I don't like talking about the Epstein stuff because that's like a dead horse that's been beaten. Yeah. But uh, she was interviewed by Whitney Webb, uh the the primary uh, Maria Farmer, and she's the one who uh was the main uh the main person in the trial there, the, uh, what is it? The primary witness and, uh, uh, Newsmax had all the quotes here and they're out of context, but it tells you what you need to know. I had a hard time with all the Jewish people. I think it's all the Jews. They think the Jewish DNA is better than the rest of us. These people truly believe they're chosen. Every one of them, all the Jewish people I met are pedophiles around the world economy, etc. 
So I was just going to skip past that. But th- those are quotes from her. She wasn't like beating around the bush or being odd about that. So I wanted to clarify that because people have been calling in about that stuff. Nah, I she, gotcha. She was pretty straightforward about that. Okay. And then uh, your your argument, the next comment before I get to the, the real stuff, uh, Joe, what your uh, discussion with Joe Jordan uh, or Eric Stryker was uh, he said he was more or less a free speech absolutist. I don't feel like I'm misrepresenting him there because I'm pretty sure that's exactly what he said. And you said that you're like, now nah, you got to suppress certain speech because the proof is self-evident that if you let that speech run rampant, that it's going to cause problems, AKA trannies running around. Right. And people or uh, we could just look at the sports illustrated people like men thinking they're women and things like that. And I, I thought it was funny cause I'm an old ex and cap like you. And it was, uh, he was making unknowingly the old argument that ANCAPs used to make for the gold standard. They're like, uh, good money will beat out bad, right? So truth is right. a transactional thing. If I tell you something true, then if you buy it, that's good. And if I tell you a lie and you buy it, then I'm taking something from you. But it's well, the same it, thing is true. And it's like, obviously, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, well, well, the funny thing is, you know, I, I, what's what's funny about it is the, the, the ANCAP thing is, well, I guess there are probably ANCAPs who say that, but the, the, what, what you're referring to is actually Gresham's law. And it's the exact opposite. It's bad money pushes out good, right? And that's, that's sort of the, the, oh, the hole okay. in the theory of the, of the gold standard thing. It's like, okay, so you, know, you, you, want, you have a superior form of money, and then there's garbage money in circulation, and people are more anxious to spend the garbage money, which is why it, it has greater velocity. But that's an economic thing. But I understand your point, oh, okay. nonetheless, that like— you know that, that you know when you say that, like oh well we'll just have you know good ideas will just beat out bad like what evidence do you have of that actually it's every, every bit of information that you have available to you actually suggests that it's the exact opposite of that that you know if if you just have bad ideas and good ideas are allowed to compete on an even playing field then well of course the bad ideas will will prevail because they're not bound by the same rules as good ideas they have like supernatural fucking powers that they don't, they're not bound by truth, you know, and they're preferable in the minds of most people, sadly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you, if you say cheating is legal, then um, people are going to, uh, the rules don't matter anymore. Uh, but right. that, that was just a funny observation that I had related to that argument is all. It, it's, but, it's an interesting one. Yeah, I appreciate sorry. it. Yep. All right. So uh, anyway, I was going to go over to Texas here because I live down here and, uh, I was going to say real quick, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that Abbott can't see eye to eye with Joe Biden, but he's rolling forward with the border enforcement. And despite the Supreme Court trying to cripple his efforts, his steadfast in his governor's seat, uh, he's, I think he's changing, uh, jokes aside, I think he's changing politics in a way. So you know how traditionally politics are, politician says, I will give you X if you elect me, or at least modern politics is that. Right. What Greg Abbott's been doing recently is... He's actually doing material things. So material enforce, material enforcement of the border, materially defying the Supreme Court, material this, material that, and then 10 states now, not just one, 10 states have sent, at least last I checked, uh, 25 states, which is all of them but New Hampshire. So you got to go yell at somebody up there uh, <laughs> for us because Vermont did it too, finally. But uh, New Hampshire is the last GOP governor state that hasn't signed on to that petition. But uh Ten states have sent troops now, or have said they're going to send troops, if not already, or border enforcement officials of some kind to the uh, to the border. But uh, them doing that, what he's normally, I'm used to somebody, uh, a politician coming to me and saying, I'm, "I will give you a dollar if you vote for me." Right. So just just to use that as an example, I, what's I get, happening yeah. right now is Greg Abbott 
yeah, Greg Abbott's saying, here's a dollar. And if you vote for me, I'll give you a dollar, to, another dollar, right? So it's like the transactional economics of uh, the politics involved are a little bit different than they used to be because he's doing, he's actually doing something instead of just saying he's going to do something if he gets reelected or whatever, which is not kind of how things normally work. And I thought that was kind of an interesting phenomenon. Yeah, I think it's interesting that, you know, I, I've been sympathetic to Tucker Carlson's critiques of Gre- of Greg Abbott because, like, like he he's one of these Republicans who's actually, like, he, a lot of the time he actually embodies the worst of the party, right? That he says, you know, hey, oh, yeah, no, you know, we, we, we say all the right things and then we come so close to doing it, but the actual effect of our policies is that the problem continues. And, and you know, he gives credence to this idea that they're controlled opposition so often, right? And so... You know, mm-hmm. when when you when I'm looking at this thing down there, I'm like, well, you know, I, I titled the most recent episode of Surreal Politics Caving In because I was like, yeah, well, Greg Abbott's definitely going to cave. There's no way. Right. And he's he's there's no way he's going to go and, you know, get into a war with the federal government. And I'm like, oh, my God, like this, this could happen. You know, this is actually we're, we're you know, this is they they talked a lot about brinksmanship all through the Trump administration but like this is that's brinksmanship right there you know we're like you know don't you dare order these guys not to obey my orders because i'm not going to tell you what happens if you do you know <laughs> like that's you know we're when we're, we're getting up to that point it's like you know i'm like wow I, you know the, the idea that greg abbott is doing that you know, has he has he had it? Has he been woken up to what's going on? Is the you know did he get the damn videos back from Epstein? Who knows, right? You know, it's 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 amazing. Uh, well, well, who know. knows if he can if he can actually feel down there anyway? So maybe that's why they don't got anything on him, I suppose. But and that's a that's an important part of what I was getting at, I guess, to, or not what I was getting at, but I think I think what he's doing is incredibly interesting in a political sense. And I think it's actually going to be functional. And you're right that brinksmanship, this is a whole new level because I, I was, I'm sitting down here in one of these towns in, or cities in Houston. And uh, they're like, when I see Apache helicopters flying around in the middle of the night and they're like, Oh no, don't worry. These are just scheduled. Uh, these are scheduled planned. Uh, it, it, and it, it makes me feel like a conspiracy theorist all of a sudden, even though I'm not at all. And I'm like, they should, probably should have canceled that. And why didn't they? But the uh, the fact that he's the fact that he's pushing forward, the fact that he's gotten ten other states to provide troops. Yeah. Oh, hello. Yeah, yeah. I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I know you heard a sound. I'm sorry yeah. about that. That was not. Uh, you don't. Need to yeah. Worry no, about that's it. fine. Yeah. No, no, don't worry about it. Yeah. The the, the yeah the, the fact that uh the fact that he's providing using the uh too much you understand that problem. Uh, he's providing material support, and he's convinced other states now. 10 other states at least, and it's probably increased because every time I've reported on that, like I said, other than New Hampshire, every other GOP-run or governor state has provided verbal support is, I don't know, I, I think I think that's incredibly distinctive. And yes, you're right, in terms of brinksmanship, we are, we are, we are at Fort Sumter away from entering a civil war. And you have to remember Fort Sumter was just, uh, was just, it was not, uh, it was not a commanded thing. It was there was a resupply ship sent to Fort Sumter, which was outside of Charleston, which is an island which was guarding the port that was filled with the Yankees. And they really told they told them to get the fuck out, and they didn't. And right. when they sent a supply ship instead of an AVAC ship, they shot at it, warning shots, and then that kicked it off. And it really wouldn't take 
unfortunately, it really wouldn't take. I I, I could see Border Patrol and some hot shot, uh, hot shot Texas National Guard guys exchanging some shots, and then all of a sudden shit gets real. So yeah, that's I mean that's happened before, and that's what Fort Sumter is. So it's kind of scary in a way, uh, but. You know, a lot of guys I know down here are kind of rooting for it. I'm like, there's consequences to this, but yeah, I'm definitely not rooting for the for for the armed conflict to begin. I um I don't want the listener to get that impression oh, yeah. for sure. You know, it would be far preferable, oh, yeah. of course, oh, 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 that like yeah, the, you know that that the Biden administration is like, well, wait a second, you know, there's actually not a very high likelihood that everybody's going to do what we want in this situation, so we're going to have to negotiate. And and you know, I I. I go back and forth in my own head, you know, you know, how interested are these people in their own sort of political survival, right? Because if they, you know, if they go and they, and they get into that conflict, you know, if they, if they attack Texas, um, the, the likelihood of them prevailing is certainly not a hundred percent. Right. And the consequences of them failing oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. are yeah. tremendous. You know, it, it's, it's staggering what would actually occur if they, um, if they were to if they were to attempt this and it were to fail, you know, it uh, it, there's no telling, you know, what would what would come of that, right? The the outcome is it is a hundred percent uncertain. Yeah, they could completely lose everything that they have, right? And so, you know, and I think that they're conscious, as I said in the in the monologue, that like I think that they're they've got a hyper awareness presently about how fragile their power actually is that they didn't. They haven't previously anticipated it this way, you know, and so they 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 have to know on some level that they're no longer invincible. And if they go and they engage in something that risky, that they could be losing everything. Are they interested enough in their own futures to avoid that outcome? I don't know the answer to that question. You know, if they, you know, I I I said that you know some of these people, it does seem to be that like, you know, the destruction of mankind actually seems to be the goal that some of them pursue. And in that sense, they might accomplish it, you know, but they're definitely not going to create a world where men can become women. Right. And so, you know, are they, <laughs> are they, are they interested in pursuing, you know, a, a, a long and distant future, you know, some of them, you know, their obsession with non-production, non-reproductive sex and whatnot, you know, they don't have designs beyond the horizon of their own existence, say, but you know, others do, and they certainly enjoy their own comfort. So, you know, do they want to be involved in a war that they could very well lose, and then and then all of their designs going forward would be destroyed? Or are they just like we're actually the madmen that you think we are? Right? The, all of your all of your assessments about us being completely nuts and actually not being in control of ourselves like those are actually that's the actual state of affairs. I don't know which one it is. And uh, I'm not particularly anxious to find out, you know. <laughs> okay. Well, I, okay. Well, I've got, I've got two comments real quick and then I'll hang up so you can get somebody else. Okay. The, uh, it, it's funny. Yeah. These are just Texas history things. Uh, so the, it's funny when Greg Abbott took power in 2015, when he took power, when he became governor, he changed over uh, the old legacy. Um, it had changed names a number of times to really lame stuff. It started as the War Department in 1836 when <laughs> the country was, or Texas was founded as a country. And then uh, he reconstituted it as the uh, Texas Military Department. Yeah. So we have a Texas Military Department now, and that's where he's like started to get new recruits to send down to the border too. 
Yeah, I, kind of you know what? I was interested in that terminology, and I wasn't familiar with the history of it. I, I'm glad that you bring that up because I've heard him reference the Texas military department. I'm like, well, since when does Texas have its own military? But it's it's a reference to the National Guard. <laughs> well, no, no. Okay, so it it started out as the War Department, which had the Texas Army, Texas. So it was the Texian Army before during the Revolution or uh, War of Independence, if you will. And then it turned into the Texas Army, Texas Navy, Texas Marines, and Tex—you get the uh, Texas Rangers. Right. And then recently, it's he reconstituted and it changed names numerous times uh, into I was like the Attorney of General Texas something as of 2014, and then he changed it to the Texas Military Department. Nice. So he changed it back to a, a yeah exactly. I was, I was just thought that was an interesting card that he put in his back pocket as soon as he took governorship. Uh, which is kind of an interesting. But wait thing. a second. So when he says uh, Texas so Military that, Department, is he talking about the National Guard? The National Guard, the National State Guard, the national, the Texas National Guard, are, like Air Force. We have our own Air Force. A couple of other things. So it's it's encompassing all of these different branches of Texas controlled, basically military forces, if you will. I did not have awareness of that. So, like, I understand that there's, like, an Air National Guard. Like, my understanding of the mechanics of the National Guard, the Air National Guard, that they are, you know, that they're under the command of the the state authorities and every state has one. You seem to be describing a a distinct situation in Texas. Do I understand that correctly? So, what I'm describing is there is, I'd have to go look it up. I think it was Section 4 or like season seven or something. Yes, there's a, we have, there's a, the Texas National Guard, the Texas State Guard and the Texas Air Force Guard or whatever terminology they have for that one, I'm not sure, are all under executive authority under the Texas Military Department of Greg Abbott. Interesting. So he, he has his own, uh, he, and this, that's his, as, as of 2015, when he, that's when he became governor. So he set up his own, uh, Department of Defense, if you will, or Department of War, which was really originally called the War Department. That was the very first version of this that it has evolved through. Uh, it evolved through that. Then when the Civil War, it changed names. And then during World War One, it changed names. So uh, when we say we're playing with fire here, he's a uh, he's not he's playing with fire uh, yeah. a lot. But uh, I don't, here's, the, here's the last comment I had, which was funny. Speaking of the uh, Texas Military Department. Uh, this in terms of the Civil War, this was Texas was the only state that wasn't actually subjugated and conquered by the Union. It just surrendered once the rest of the Confederates did. And it's because they last they won the last two wars. of the, uh, I think it was the Battle of doesn't really matter, like San Palmento Valley or something. People can look that stuff up if they care. But so it's uh, yeah. Anyway, the, the Texas Department of War exists and uh, it is currently seeking people who are in any of those groups formerly or currently, which is the, the National Guard, the Air Guard, et cetera, stuff like that, to come and they pay per diem and lodging to come protect the border now. That's so, interesting. Quite you know, the, uh, I think, I think, and that was, that, I hope that, like I hope, I hope the Texas legislature and maybe people can start trying to create a little buzz about this. I hope they change it back to the Texas Department of War, like right now, right? <laughs> like, hey, just, you know, we're just real quick, you know, it's completely unrelated to the situation that we're facing, but we're changing the name of it to the Texas Department of War, 
And that's completely unrelated to the government threatening to... That's completely unrelated to the ongoing invasion and the federal government (laughs) threatening to facilitate it with military violence. Oh uh, uh, yeah, well, it, it, yeah, here I'll, I'll give you one last one right here, and then I'm going to hang up because it's funny okay. related to that. There's a there's a there's an organization that is a Texas government organization as well that's funded, and it's uh, the Texas, um, what is it? Oh, uh, um, organization for wait, no, uh, Texas Holocaust Anti-Semitism and Genocide Advisory Commission. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, you could like change out the you could change out the staff and like make a couple of changes yeah. to your. Uh, website now would just be fine just leave it in place we yeah and then, and then we'll and so. then we'll uh, yeah we'll just we'll change the name of it ever so slightly the, the, the texas genocide commission you know and <laughs> yeah well texas no texas holocaust anti-semitism and genocide commission <laughs> or whatever it was yeah it's just like yeah we'll just leave that about the same anyway uh, thanks chris but, i appreciate you thank you call. very much for an excellent call my friend your first time calling in you did a great job friend do it again thank you very much 217 217- 688-1433. You like to be on the program, and the more you saw, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. I'm going to play a clip at 6 minutes and 31 seconds, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. One of these days, my computer will actually... Welcome to the Radical Agenda. It's show about common sense extremism where we talk about radical, crazy, off-the-wall things like the ultimate punishment. Yes, this agenda is quite radical and welcome to it. This 317th episode of the program. Today is June 16th, 2017. It's a Friday and we're coming to you live from my sorry to use for a studio in Keene, New Hampshire. I'm fired up, man. I'm ready to go today, huh? How about you? The uh, the Huffington Post has unpublished an article in the wake of what was surely an ardent reader going on a shooting spree wounding cops and congressmen in Alexandria, Virginia. Luckily, the shooter is dead. Sadly, though, he did not suffer long enough. The article removed was published Saturday by contributor Jason Fuller and called for Donald Trump to be executed. Titled, Trump must be prosecuted if convicted in a court of law, executed. Fuller says Trump must face the, quote, ultimate punishment because, quote, impeachment isn't enough. Surely, neither the post nor the removal are particularly surprising to the radical agenda audience. The only thing that surprises us anymore is that there are still people who think leftists can be reasoned with. How anyone can watch Rachel Maddow and friends freak out like dope fiends in withdrawal, trying desperately to convince themselves as much as their audience is that the president, that the president of the United States is a puppet for the Russian government, then walk out the door and think people who take this nonsense seriously are not a threat to their safety is just completely beyond our comprehension. No matter how many times key witnesses get in front of Congress and say there is absolutely no evidence to these claims, they just keep on insisting that this Manchurian candidate must be removed from power one way or the other. The shooting in Alexandria was the perfectly predictable response to this kind of propaganda. If I thought the North Koreans were secretly running the United States government, I might shoot at some Congress critters myself, and I would have an AK-47 sporting a 73-round drum instead of an SKS with a 10-round mag. Leftist media lost their minds when Trump said he would pay the legal bills of supporters who fought agitators at his presidential rallies. 
They said he was promoting violence, a race war even, by uttering this off-the-cuff remark as security removed disruptive protesters who it later was discovered were paid to provoke violence. The Huffington Post is literally publishing articles saying the president of the United States must die and then have the nerve to tell us they had nothing to do with the untrained idiot who got himself killed trying to whack a congressman. Violence against conservatives is just commonplace now. We literally haven't gone a month since July of 2016 without criminal violence against Trump supporters and other conservative figures being reported in the news. That would be troubling enough all by itself. But since we know the news is overwhelmingly run by communists, we can be certain countless more attacks never made it to our screens. It should be no wonder then that Democrats use their own guys' criminal behavior to call for the conservatives they've been assaulting to be disarmed. Nor is it any wonder that they can't even keep track of their lies surrounding the subject, such as when Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe said we lose 93 million people a day to gun violence in the United States. By that math, the country would be wiped out in less than four days, if you're unaware. But then again, I suppose that explains their obsession with illegal immigration. It never stops with these people, if you can even call them that. Every word that drops from their mouths is either a lie or a truth told in furtherance of some other deception. They renounce violence when it suits them and endorse it just as quickly the moment that endorsement advances their interest. Every effort they pursue without exception aims to diminish the interests of the right and whatever demographics support it. They lie and cheat and steal and assault and rape and murder and pollute our gene pool with criminals and communists, then tell us we are extra special, wicked, immoral people for questioning the benefits of their acts. Jason Fuller insists that Trump must receive the ultimate punishment, and the Huffington Post was all too happy to deliver that message. Well, the time is coming for them to get a message of their own. Donald Trump is the ultimate punishment, and we are his fucking executioners. I think it quite conservative to say that tens of thousands of men are anxiously awaiting the word to fall out of the right person's mouth, telling us that the wait is over and we can fulfill our purpose in life by competing to see who can kill the most communists. We are not weak or gentle or unaware of what is being done to us. We are the same ruthless monsters who mastered the art of warfare before your favorite demographic discovered the wheel. But neither are we the dim-witted communist revolutionaries or Islamic jihadists that you fought over today. We are a disciplined, calculating, intelligent sort of menace waiting for the right time to strike. Luckily, for those of us who are anxious for the chance, it cannot be far off. We've seen terrorism, race riots, false flags, and now shots fired. We're not going to sit here and watch you topple an elected president waiting to see what Democrats prefer to democracy. We will smash, stab, shoot, and bomb you in a manner that will make the Islamic State look civilized by comparison. We will slaughter your males, rape your women, and leave your children in the company of the pedophiles you set free on our streets. If anyone is going to impose an unelected government on the continent of North America, it's going to be us. And the only thing we're going to be more liberal with is the fucking death penalty.
God, do I love that clip. 747-234-2254. A radical agenda on Skype if you would like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please, do give us a call. Don't get the numbers mixed up, ladies and gentlemen. It's 217-688-1433. That number has changed a few times over the course of the years. (laughs) Love to hear from you today. Let's read some super chat, shall we? You guys pay me. I appreciate that. Uh, Libertariat says, uh, friendly reminder to those watching, you can support Radical Agenda by donating if you enjoy the show. Well, that's a great reminder. Thank you, Libertariat. There is uh, there's plenty of ways to do that, of course, and you can find all of them at ChristopherCantwell.net slash donate or SurrealPolitics.com slash donate. And uh, my uh, my cash tag, my uh, my... My uh, cash app thing is Edgy Chris. And, uh, you know, givesendgo.com slash SPM. I love that crypto stuff, by the way. And I do it all, you know, Bitcoin, Monero, Bitcoin, Cash, Litecoin, Ethereum, whatever, whatever you want to send. And if you go over there and you see like the key and you're like, well, if I send it there, then somebody's going to be able to look that up on the blockchain. I can't do that. Just send me an email and I'll give you a fresh key. And then nobody will ever be the wiser. 217-688-1433. American Life says, a bunch of the laziest people at my job, most of them are Negroes, is the the correct word. He says niggers. (laughs) Are trying to unionize. I'm I'm not strictly anti-union, but I'll be voting no. The pay is decent, the benefits are great, and these... Simian brains can't understand fiduciary responsibility any more than they can grasp the concept of per capita. Well, that's very well said, sir. You know, I my views on the whole union thing have, have certainly matured over the years. I, you know, I used to take this um, a pretty hard anti-union line, say. But uh, interestingly enough, as I sort of like drifted away from libertarianism, Right word, um, you know, you know, the anti-union stuff is typically associated with the right, not without cause, because, you know, the unions have been turned into a left-wing political force, and so they, they have hostile interests to one another. But, you know, people standing together and negotiating is not necessarily a bad thing, right? But if you're competing, you know, if you're going to go and be like, yeah, we'll take money out of my check so that you can support the Democrat Party and make sure that the fucking idiot who's sleeping on the job and getting high at work with me gets the same pay as I do. Well, that doesn't sound like a very good idea at all for the worker. Forget about the employer. 217-688-1433. Real Tony Soprano sends a C-note. Thank you very much, my friend. I don't anticipate armed conflict between Border Patrol and Texas military. These guys all live and work in the same towns, shop at the same places, went to the same schools, hunt together, etc. Biden just retaliated with a federal pause on new liquefied natural gas exports. It's pretty significant. Now, that's okay. So, you know, I had seen that headline today and I didn't immediately associate the two things. But obviously that's correct, right? And that's, you know... That's warfare, right? It's an economic sanction. It's the same thing they're doing to Russia, right? 
He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not waging war against you. I'm just blockading your ports. <laughs> your move, cocksucker, right? I've remarked on here a few times a quote. I don't know if it actually is. A, I have it in my head that it's attributed to a historical character called Alexander the Great. I don't know if that's accurate or not. He says in war, the aggressor is the one who makes his enemy fire the first shot, right? Everybody thinks like the guy who fires the first shot, he's the aggressor. No, absolutely not. The aggressor is the one who makes you shoot him, right? And that's seems to be that that the reference being made with the natural gas thing, right? Okay, Abbott, I understand that if I instruct the military to go in and kill your men, that I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. And so I'm going to do everything I can short of that to force you. I'm going to force your hand. And then when you shoot, I can say that you're the aggressor and then I will slaughter your people. And I'll take a great deal of pleasure in doing it. Two one seven six eight eight one four three three. Thank you so much, Tony. Let's see here. I mentioned in the monologue the situation with the news outlets folding and there's a really great piece in Zero Hedge. Well, actually, actually, let's before I even before I do that, still in the Texas vein. Greg Abbott went, uh, there's a six-minute clip released by Tucker Carlson. And I think it's interesting, the fact that he's not in the country when he says this, I think is very significant, but it's completely glossed over in in the clip. Governor Greg Abbott was in India speaking to Tucker Carlson about the upcoming war with the federal government. And here's how it went. On Monday, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that the Biden administration is legally allowed to open the border by force to cut down razor wire along the Rio Grande sector of the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas. The usual suspects voted for this, Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, Kentaji Brown-Jackson, but they were joined by so-called conservative justices John Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett. So in response to this ruling, which shocked many, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, drafted a letter not simply to the administration, but to the world. And here's part of what it says. Under President Biden's lawless border policies, more than 6 million illegal immigrants have crossed our southern border in just three years. That is more than the population of 33 different states in this country. This illegal refusal to protect the states has inflicted unprecedented harm on the people all across the United States. Abbott goes on to say the state of Texas has the authority under the Constitution to, quote, protect itself That authority is the supreme law of the land, and it supersedes any federal statutes to the contrary. And then, following very quickly, 25 other states with Republican governors signed a letter pledging their support to Texas and its constitutional right to defend itself and this country. Those states include Ohio, Florida, Utah, Nevada, and many others. And then the Biden administration responded. The administration threatened these states, and particularly Texas, with a, quote, 24-hour deadline to allow Border Patrol to reopen the border and to take down the barbed wire. Clearly a collision course. What happens next? We're thankful to be joined now by Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, who joins us by phone from India. Governor Abbott, thank you so much for joining us. If the administration 
declares that it plans to federalize the National Guard of the state of Texas, your National Guard, what will be your response? Well, first, I'll be shocked. That would be a boneheaded move on his part, a total disaster. Uh, but for one, as you might imagine, we are prepared uh, in the event that that unlikely event does occur to, to make sure that we will be able to continue exactly what we've been doing over the past month. And that is uh, building these barriers, uh, and whether it be the Constantino wire or other uh, anti-climb border barriers, whatever we've been building, the Biden administration uh, is now trying to attack us because of it. Uh, and we will continue to do exactly what we're doing to expand our denial of illegal entry into the state of Texas. It, the, with state employees, I assume, not with National Guard, but w can you envision a scenario in which you would put armed state employees on the border instead of the National Guard of Texas? We, we do have other armed state employees uh, on the border as we speak right this minute, and uh, that's the Texas Department of Public Safety, as well as other law enforcement officers, as well as National Guard from other states. And you can be assured there will be more National Guard from other states and more law enforcement officers within the state of Texas and other states. And, Tucker, I just signed a law, a new law in the state of Texas that will go into effect on March the 5th that authorizes any law enforcement officer in the state of Texas to be able to arrest anybody coming across the border illegally. Have you spoken to the president or anyone from the Biden White House about what appears to be uh, an imminent collision? I have not, to be clear. Uh, I have spoken to the president about the border. Uh, I met him on a tarmac in El Paso and talked to him directly about what was going on. I handed him a letter that had in it immediate solutions he could take that would immediately secure the border without the need of any new law to be passed. Despite the fact that I handed him uh, on altogether eight different letters, he has refused to ever respond. My point in telling you that, we have laid down the precursor of what's called Article Article 4, Section 4 of the United States Constitution to show that uh, we have been invaded and we have demanded support from the president to safeguard our state. And they have refused to do so eight times. And that authorized me to, uh, uh, to declare an invasion under Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution to make sure that Texas is going to be able to use every tool in our arsenal to defend our state. Uh, of the couple of dozen Republican-led states who've pledged support for you, um, how many do you think would send National Guard to Texas? I'll be shocked and disappointed if almost all of them do not send. There, there have been about 10 so far that have sent National Guard or uh, other law enforcement. They now are joined together with us. And this is a fight for the future of America, and they all know it. And so I believe that they will all be in on this effort. It's just a remarkable moment. Uh, and I know you're heading out, but my final question is, how do you see this resolving? What happens next? Well, Texas is going to continue to expand the border barriers that we are erecting, the razor wire that we're putting up, uh, and to continue to gain control of more land uh, over the coming month. I believe, however, that this will all come to an end on January the 20th, of next year, because I believe a new president will be sworn in, a president who will actually enforce the immigration laws of the entire country, not just the Texas border, but New Mexico and Arizona and California and the Canadian border also. Uh, and we will have safe and secure borders once again, because we will have a president who actually will enforce the laws of the United States of America. But in the next year, are you concerned about any kind of conflict between state 
forces, whether state employees or National Guard and federal forces. So, Tucker, all we can do is be as prepared as possible, deploy as many people as possible, uh, do as much as possible uh, to put up more border barriers uh, and deny illegal entry. Uh, and our head is down. We're working hard, uh, regardless of what the Biden administration is doing. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas joining us now from India. Thank you very much, Governor. Thank you. Take care. This is just, Free speech I is can't get over this. One Excuse me, one Tucker Carlson. I just wanted to hear from Greg Abbott of Texas while he was in a foreign country plotting war against the federal government. I, didn't, I don't need to hear about your goddamn advertisements afterwards. <laughs> you know, India is not, you know, the, the most cuck place in the world, right? It's, you know... Those people understand things that you that you don't say in polite company in the United States, you know. And uh, you know, there's been some, you know, question whether they're going to go with Russia or, or America, right? Probably, you know, Russia's closeness with China is largely the the barrier to them going with Russia, but it's not a a total absolute deal breaker, right? And so, what if uh, what if Greg Abbott were meeting Vladimir Putin in India? <laughs> I highly doubt that that's the case, but it's fun to think about. Tony Soprano sends another $14.33. He says, you may all go to hell and I will go to Texas. A quote from the great Davy Crockett. Well... That's clever indeed. 217-688-1433. like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Love to hear from you. And so I mentioned that, you know, Zero Hedge had put together kind of a fun piece over here about the media situation I talked about in the beginning. And the piece over there, I, I took a great deal of pleasure in reading earlier today by a fellow by the name of Tyler Durden. I don't know if that's his real name. <laughs> I'm fairly confident it's not. The entire journalism industry is in freefall. Taylor Lorenz vlogs the death of MSM as BuzzFeed Insider and Vice jettison assets. And he says, corporate media is on life support, driven to cut costs by sagging ad revenues and waning appetite for propaganda. Layoffs and restructurings are happening all over. Earlier this week, the LA Times laid off 120 employees, around 20% of its newsroom. Meanwhile, BuzzFeed and Vice Media, two former darlings of digital media, are looking to siphon off assets. BuzzFeed, which has lost over 97% of its value since going public in 2021, is looking to sell its food sites, Tasty and We Feast. While Fortress Investment Group, which took over Vice in bankruptcy last year, is looking to sell its Refinery29 women's lifestyle site, the Wall Street Journal reports, quote, Fortress is in talks to sell Refinery29 after a failed attempt to find a buyer for Vice in its entirety which includes its namesake news brand, production studio, and creativity agency, among other assets. 
Fortress is in discussions with prospective bidders for Refinery29, which saw a decrease in revenue to $30 million last year from around $50 million in 2022, according to people familiar with the matter. Vice notably bought Refinery29 for $400 million in 2019, while Tasty was an attempt by BuzzFeed to generate revenue streams beyond advertising with direct sales of kitchenware. The outlets join Jezebel, whose uh, uh, catchphrase was sex, celebrity, politics with teeth, <laughs> which was shuttered in November by Geo Media amid corporate layoffs and Business Insider, which is now cutting 8% of its staff per semaphore. Time Magazine also laid off 30 people this week. In 2023, there were 33. Thousand workers laid off by media companies. Quoting from Forbes, this is the largest number of cuts in employment since 2020 when COVID-19 was raging and over 30,000 workers were laid off. The figure is also six times higher than the number of job losses in 2022 when several large media companies, including Warner Brothers, Disney, and Discovery, and others had undergone a series of layoffs impacting thousands of media workers. Opining on the sad state of journalism is Jeff Bezos' vocal fry champion, Taylor Lorenz, who said this week that, quote, the entire journalism industry is basically in a free fall and that the L.A. Times woes follow months and months of layoffs in the media industry. And it's not just media sites, she continues. Local news has been obliterated. The newspaper industry is catering. Radio is essentially dead. Well, you would believe that if you were a leftist, of course, because you don't understand how radio works. Radio is essentially dead, aside from NPR, which has been gutted. Meanwhile, hundreds of workers at Condé Nast, the parent company of pretty much every major magazine from GQ to Vogue to New Yorker to Vanity Fair are now on strike. Despite her claims that she's a grassroots reporter that worked her way up from independent media into the halls of establishment journalism, Taylor Lorenz represents the quintessential media spin doctor. She is notorious for her consistent and often ludicrous defense of the Biden administration, as well as her constant attacks on alternative media, specifically conservative YouTubers and social media accounts like Libs of TikTok. She became somewhat famous after her expose on Libs of TikTok founder Shia Reishik in what many argued was an attempt to dox and intimidate a person critical of woke activists. The initial story published by Lorenz contained a link to the woman's work address and other work details. A version of the story released later had that link removed. She was also accused of lying in an article about Johnny Depp v. Amber Heard, the trial by that name, when she claimed she had contacted certain YouTubers for comment before publishing her attack on them. They say she did not and she had no evidence to support her assertions. The Washington Post was forced to quietly stealth edit her article in embarrassment. The point is, Lorenz has made it clear by her actions that she views citizen journalists negatively if they aren't on the political left. She has tried to sabotage them using dubious methods, and ironically, it is this kind of behavior from corporate journalists like her that has led directly to the death of her industry. 
It is this kind of biased behavior that has compelled the public to seek out alternative media and abandon legacy platforms. No matter how much you hate journalists, it's not enough. In a 2022 Pew Research poll of U.S. mainstream journalists of all ages, over 55% of those journalists said they don't believe all sides of any story deserve equal coverage. The youngest journalists, 18 to 29, were the worst, with 63% of them saying that they did not agree with equal coverage. Lorenz reflects this very sentiment as she rolls her eyes at the notion of objectivity in news writing. In a similar poll, over 76% of the general public said they want equal coverage of all sides by the media. The disconnect between establishment news sources and what their audiences want is immense. Given that progressive ideology is greatly overrepresented in most corporate media, the public has simply sought out the other side of the story. Lorenz argues she wouldn't want to live in a world where people get their news from 60-second TikToks while posting her appeal there too. But she knows full well that it's not TikTok journalism taking the legs out from under organizations like the Washington Post. It's the growing prevalence of alternative media more broadly, which she has lambasted for a large portion of her career. That said, ultimately, the picture Lorenz paints is actually a positive one, although she does not realize it. The implosion of legacy media is an expression of the free market. The public has spoken, and finally, these people are suffering the consequences of their dishonest activities. And to be clear, no, legacy media companies do not matter at all. They are not special or integral to the economy or to society. They are not too big to fail, as goes that disgusting line. And their collapse should be applauded after the years of disinformation and propaganda they have excreted onto the doorsteps of the American populace. They deserve this, and the world is better off without them. They are already being replaced with better companies and better journalists. May the free market run its course. Oh, and in case anyone was wondering, while corporate media has been imploding, Zero Hedge has been growing. And they thank you for your readership. Well, and I thank you for that fine piece of writing, Mr. Durden. Thank you very much for providing me with the opportunity to read that to my adoring fans. Caller, you on a radical agenda. What's your agenda? Hey, Chris. I just want to talk about uh, what was going on in Texas. Uh, Greg Abbott said something that was pretty interesting where, you know, he was talking about public employees, government employees, all he's got to do is ask for volunteers. I mean, you know, he could probably assemble a system militia within like a couple of hours, bring their own gear, bring their own vehicles. I mean. Well, I, I, I won't be surprised to see it come to that if, you know, Joe Biden says I'm nationalizing the guard and, you know, the conflict is on. You know, if he if he says now, like, hey, American citizen, get your gun, come to Texas. I think that, 
you know, that that would at this moment probably be very poorly received. But if it comes to the shooting, you can be you can be absolutely I think I I shouldn't say I don't think that there's much besides chaos and disorder that you could be absolutely certain of these days. But it would be I I estimate a very high probability that were it to come to that, you know, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, were he to find himself in a war with the United States, he would say, "Okay, citizen, you know, this is why you have a Second Amendment. Come to Texas, you know. Get in your vehicle and come here with your firearm and let's fix this problem once and for all. Uh, I think he'll probably refrain from yeah, doing that, you know, until until the time comes. But I also I do recall there being some mention of some kind of volunteer efforts going on. I don't know all of the details of it, but, you know, the, the concept of a, a volunteer militia, you know, preparing to do battle on the border, I think, is an image that they'll try to avoid until the last possible second. But. Should he put out that, you know, should that balloon go up, you can you can bet for certain that there's going to be a lot of people go. Yeah, I wouldn't even think you'd have to go down the, the gun route or anything. Just be like, hey, uh, he's nationalized, uh, you know, guard or whatever, federalized them, so we're not going to use them. We're kicking them out. So, you know, just show up. And if people choose to come armed on their own, which they probably will, then, you know, so be it. But, you know, he wouldn't even have to uh, throw the whole gun thing out. He could just ask, you know, because people are just so sick of this crap, man. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's like I've watched it for the past three years. And it's like I go out in public and it's like walking through the goddamn Star Wars bar in Tatooine now. And that's like even the legal immigration. It's pretty disgusting. And I think people are sick and tired of it and would be more than happy to, you know, volunteer. Well, yeah, you know, I, I can imagine Governor That's Greg why. Abbott of Texas being like, hey, why don't you just come down here? And by the way, we have really permissive open carry laws. <laughs> I'm not telling you yeah, to bring your gun yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I'm just we just I just want to let you know that we really would love you to come down here as we're on the brink of war with the United States federal government. And by the way, like we love guns down here. and We're totally not going to throw you in prison if you bring them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for the call, my friend. Two one seven six eight eight one four three three. Like to be on the program, and the more you told, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. What else should we do, kids? It's only ten thirty six. You know, I'll, uh, a lot of times I like to. You know, if you guys are not lighting up the phones, a lot of times I'll call it quits on surreal politics. But I hate to call it early on the radical agenda. And we have had a couple of calls, so, you know, I'll keep it going. There's another. So I mentioned to you earlier that... Putting the numbers um, together. Shut uh, your mouth. I'm not you. Not you. I want to hear from you. I'm talking about the goddamn video that started to play against my consent. Um, I mentioned to you earlier that that uh, the governor of Oklahoma was talking about sending their guard down to Texas. And here's a video of him talking about that with Steve Ducey this morning on Fox and Friends. The former president, uh, Donald Trump, has suggested to all the Republican governors out there, uh, send members of your state's National Guard. In your case, Governor, it would be the Oklahoma National Guard. Send them down to Texas to help Greg Abbott. Are you going to do that? Absolutely. You know, I've done it once before, and we're looking. I already talked to my tag, my General Mancino. We've already started putting the numbers together. Uh, we'll be in contact with Governor Abbott. The former president, uh, Donald Trump, has suggested to all the Republican governors out there, uh, sorry, send members happened? of your state's National Guard. All right, so it's only 28 seconds. Um, 
you know, I actually saw this this morning, and and I'm irritated that they didn't give us a longer clip. So what actually happens later in that segment there is that Steve Ducey then turns around and he's like, it's funny to me. You know, Steve Ducey's not the worst guy on television, obviously, but, you know, he's not our guy, right? And so what he actually says after that, he's like, well, you know, if you guys all send your guard down there and then and then Biden nationalizes the guard, then you're basically just sending reinforcements for the federal government. What are you going to do? And that was actually what put the idea in my head this morning because his answer was very conspicuously vague. He's like, oh, well, you know. I don't think that they'll do that or, you know, something like that. He just gave a non-response to the question. And you could you could interpret that a couple of ways, obviously. Like, you could be like, you would, the first instinct when you're talking about Republicans, obviously, is that there's non-committal because that's what they do, that they're cowards and, and they have no spines and that they're going to cave is the initial, you know, the initial reaction to that to anybody experienced in following Republican politics. But the other one is, you know, you know, what are you going to do if I do X, Y, and Z? And it's like, well, I'm not going to tell you because that would give you a strategic advantage. And we're about to go to war. So go ahead and try it, shithead. <laughs> oh, my God, man. What a time to be alive, kids, huh? 217-688-1433. you like to be on the program. What else we got here? Now, I actually haven't read this yet. This is uh there's some uh, there appears to be some breaking news about the January 6th pipe bomb horseshit, okay? And if you don't recall, you know, we'll get into it as I read the story to you, but like you know, on January 6th, they said the two pipe bombs were placed by the Republican Party headquarters and by the Democrat Party headquarters, and they painted this like, oh, they almost assassinated Kamala Harris, God forbid. Wouldn't want that to happen. Who? What would we do without her, right? And, uh, and then, you know, they sort of gloss over the fact that these were inert and there was no potential for them to explode. Now, of course, you know, I'm not saying that it's no big deal to plant a fake bomb. Like, that's actually, like, a very serious crime, and you should absolutely never do anything that stupid. If there's anything dumber than placing a real bomb, it's placing a fake one, okay? So, you know, don't, don't think that I'm trying to minimize this by pointing out that it's fake. But that story has always been, like, really suspicious, right? Like, you know... They're trying to paint this picture that this is part of the attack on the Capitol. But, you know, if you're planning an insurrection, why would you go plant some fake pipe bombs, you know, far from where you're doing it and, like, make no effort to have them seen, as a matter of fact? And then, you know, when you see the video of this, this grainy video of the guy who's there and... It's just conspicuously not pursued. If you've looked into this at all, it's like the FBI hasn't tried to find out who this guy is. That, you know, and there was, it was, uh, the details are lost on me in this moment, but, you know, it was pointed out that, you know, they've gone through, they, I told you on a not so long episode ago that 
You know, the federal government went and contacted all the banks and was like, yeah, tell me everybody who was near the Capitol that day that, you know, shopped at Bass Pro Shops or said MAGA at some point in the course of their financial dealings, right? So they really gone out of their way to get anybody who might have stepped foot onto Capitol grounds and charged them with, you know, all this nonsense. And so it seems really conspicuous that the guy who can committed what was easily the most serious crime of that day, planting fake bombs near the headquarters of both parties. That guy, you know, forget about law enforcement tactics, right? Like that's, there's your insurrection. If, they, if that happened, that's when the, te- that's when the intelligence agencies get involved. They start breaking the rules, right? They're not asking the banks for permission. They're using the spies in the financial institutions. They're not asking Verizon to check the cell phone records. They have people there who are going to do it illegally without the benefit of a warrant. That's what the intelligence agencies would do if they thought that you planted bombs at the Capitol on January 6th. There would be no way in hell that that guy got away with it. And obviously, somebody who would do something that preposterous is not a genius, right? He would not have, you know, mastered all of the dark arts of encryption and hiding and all the things that you would need to do to even think that you would get away with something like that, you know? He was obviously, if somebody, if the story that we're fed is true, then someone incredibly fucking stupid put fake bombs near those things. And there's no way that he would have the foresight to do all the things that you would need to do to even think that you were going to get away with it, and then even if you had all of those skills, you would still be caught because the federal government would absolutely pursue you to the ends of the earth, and there would be no stopping them. But they haven't even tried. And so, this is... uh, a tweet thread by Representative Thomas Massey, not to be confused with the Thomas Massey whose fucking ass I kicked down in Charlottesville. There's a completely different Thomas Massey. On June 7, 2023, the House Judiciary Committee interviewed Stephen D'Antuano, former FBI assistant director in charge of the D.C. field office. Most of the interview covered topics such as the warrant served at Mar-a-Lago, but I asked questions about the J-6 pipe bombs. If you're just becoming familiar with the rapidly collapsing narrative of the J-6 pipe bombs, I suggest reading Darren J. Beatty's comprehensive and insightful coverage of this topic. The purpose of this thread is to post the original transcript of my interview with the FBI uh, Assistant Director in Charge, ADIC. In addition to reading this transcript, you might want to watch my questioning of the ATF director and the FBI director. I also suggest watching the video of the discovery of the pipe bomb at the DNC. I'll post those three videos at the end of this thread. Mr. D'Antuano was in charge of the Washington, D.C. FBI field office from 2019, just before J6 2021, until November of 2022. He was in charge of the agents who were conducting the J-6 pipe bomb investigation. Previously, he was the special agent in charge of the FBI office in Michigan. A one-hour kitchen timer on a bomb allegedly placed 17 hours earlier. How could that be operable? 
Could the detonator even function? Did it contain explosives? Remarkable timing of the discovery. Here I asked about the video my staff and I found regarding the discovery of the second pipe bomb. Would the people who discovered the bombs be suspects? Do we have all of the video at the best resolution? Did the FBI release false or incomplete information? Did they use cell phone data to find the suspect? They say, think the planted the bombs on J5. He tells me the cell phone data <laughs> was corrupted. Corrupted indeed. Transcribed interviews like this are not always released to the public. I want to thank Chairman Jordan and his staff for releasing the transcript. Here's my questioning of the ATF director about these bombs. Well, we're not going to go and read the full transcript and play the videos, but maybe we'll do, um, let's, let's watch this video of the, uh, of the pipe bomb discoveries. We'll do that. So this is a silent um, uh, surveillance camera video, and so for the sake of the audio-only audience, I'll try to describe it. We're looking at you know, like a, a an interesting. Hey, what are you doing? What the hell just happened here? Sorry. Um. Okay, so there's a guy running across this intersection. He's got a backpack on and like a COVID mask. It looks like. Um. Mundane traffic. There's more people. There's three people now walking across. It's January, so I guess it's not terribly suspicious that they're wearing hoods and masks. Car approaches the intersection, stops at the light. Now, there's police parked in a driveway on the right side of the video. And the officer gets out of the car. He goes over to the passenger side of his own vehicle. And he picks something up. A backpack. And he starts walking into the building or towards a black SUV. He's at the driver's window of the black SUV. I had not seen this video previously. I'm watching this for the first time. Um, oh, this video is seven minutes long. I, we're not going to be able to do this. Um, All right, this is not, I'm sorry, this is not going to make for good radio. I apologize. I, I, You know, like I said, I had not watched this previously, but. After 900 days, so this is the video description posted by Thomas Massey to his YouTube channel. I'm publicly releasing footage about the discovery of the pipe bomb of the DNC on 1-6. After 900 days, why won't FBI Director Ray answer congressional questions about the case? Why did they even interview the person who appears to have found the bomb? Well, that's an interesting question. Why would we not know the answer to that? These people are suspects. 217-688-1433. You'd like to be on the program. And the more you told, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. When I just came over to check the uh, to check the uh, call-ins, 
Looks like somebody just hung up. And if uh, if you were waiting for me to take your call, friend, I'll, I'll certainly do that. Go ahead, dial back in. 217-688-1433. Um, you know, I've you know thought many times about how to become a millionaire, obviously, because you know that sounds like a pretty cool thing to be a millionaire. And, you know, usually I think, you know, I should probably try to invent something or, like, I would have to do something really good media-wise and it would just be, like, a huge hit. You know, maybe I could go and I could write a book and maybe the book would be very popular. There was I, I thought about for a while. I don't, did I ever talk about this? I thought about doing this bit. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe we'll do that in the last half hour of the show. That'd be pretty fucking funny. <laughs> All right, so... I'll tell you what I'm teasing right now, and then I'll go into the story. That This was pretty a fucking funny idea I had. <clears throat> when I was in um, the county jail, pre-trial, I got in a fight, and I got sent in a hole, okay? And in the hole, in the, you know, se- disciplinary segregation is the technical term. You know, you're not granted access to your regular property or whatever, and I was deprived of access to my books. And the, uh, and the tablets in the jail that I was at, there were very few books actually in circulation. You couldn't receive books from the outside. You actually only had these, like, modified Android tablets you might have heard me talk about before. But in the whole, you don't have access to the tablets. And there's just a very limited number of books that you can read there. And, of course, the demographics of a jail being what they are, a lot of the books that are in jail are not the sort of things that I would choose to purchase from Amazon, say. And so I got introduced for the first time to hood books. (laughs) Like books about, like, you know, black people in the hood doing black people in the hood things. Selling drugs, murdering each other, trying to become rappers, engaged in... unwholesome sexual relationships. And and what I found really humorous about them was that, perhaps unsurprisingly, they were very poorly written, right? <laughs> um, one of them was titled Block Party. And it was... Uh, And Block Party was the stamp on the dope. They were heroin dealers, and they called their they called their dope Block Party. And they're just like the whole theory, the whole story is that they got heroin that was so good that they made all of this money. (laughs) And it was completely inane. And I was like, "Wow, this is terrible." You know, I never, I actually haven't done the market research to find out how much money these books made. But I did like I went, I looked some of them up on Amazon. And, you know, by the number of reviews, I'm like, okay, these these sell more than, you know, you would expect to happen in a sane society, but we don't live in such a society. And so, yeah. (laughs) And I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what? I could do this, right? Like I could could go and take up a nom de plume and I could write hood books. (laughs) And I could use the revenue from writing hood books to finance everything else that I do. 
<laughs> and I haven't I haven't done that because you know I have self respect fundamentally. But you know, there's a lot of different ways you could try to become a millionaire, and it turns out that one of the ways that you could become a millionaire is that you can riot in Seattle. That's actually a pretty good way to do that. It turns out there's uh there's a story over here at the Blaze. BLM protesters who participated in the 2020 riots will receive $10 million from Seattle. That's right. That's not a typo. That's not me making a joke. That's that's being reported as fact at the blaze of Glenn Beck's outfit. You know, The city of Seattle, Washington, agreed Wednesday to pay $10 million to settle a lawsuit from a group of Black Lives Matter protesters who participated in the violent and destructive 2020 riots following the death of St. George Floyd, the patron saint of fentanyl. I'm editorializing a little bit to what's actually being said at the blaze. A Wednesday press release from the city revealed that Seattle is settling a complaint filed by a group of 50 protesters in September of 2020 who claimed they were injured by police while participating in the demonstrations. Seattle admitted no wrongdoing. According to the city, the complaint involved hundreds of interactions between the protesters and local law enforcement officials, over a million pages of records, over 10,000 videos, hundreds of witness interviews, and extensive court filings. Quote, this decision was the best financial decision for the city, considering the risk, cost, and insurance, Seattle City Attorney Ann Davison said. The case has been a significant drain on the time and resources of the city and would have continued to be so through an estimated three-month trial that was scheduled to begin in May. This settlement resolves the majority of the remaining claims arising out of the 2020 demonstration period, and is a big step toward allowing the city to focus on the important work of today while moving forward from events four years ago, Davison added. The riots, which were ignited as a result of the death of George Floyd in May 2020, led to the destruction of many local businesses, significant property damages, and even an injury, even injury and death. A six-block area of Seattle was taken taken over by BLM activists who declared it an autonomous zone and uh, called the Capitol Hill Occupied Protest Zone, which was also referred to as the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. The rioters forced police out of the area where multiple people were shot and two were murdered. According to the plaintiff's attorneys, One of the protesters suffered a heart attack after she was hit by a blast ball fired by the Seattle Police Department, the Seattle Times reported. Another plaintiff, a veteran who uses a cane, was allegedly gassed and tackled because he didn't retreat fast enough. The lawyers claim that dozens of others who suffered permanent hearing loss, broken bones, concussion, wounds, bruising, and emotional damage as a result of the SPD's, the Seattle Police Department's response. Judge Sandra Widlin rejected Seattle's argument that the protesters had assumed the risk of being injured by law enforcement when they chose to participate in the riots. Even with the exorbitant objective evidence that a significant number of protesters who attended the demonstrations were highly destructive and violent, the corporate media continues to claim that the activists participated in a peaceful protest where they were exercising their right to free speech. The plaintiff's lead attorney, 
Karen Kohler claimed her clients were, quote, engaged in a First Amendment speech and activity against the very police brutality, which they were met with. She slammed the city for not admitting to wrongdoing. Quote, they should have said, we're very sorry that we were punks and brutalized peaceful protesters, Kohler said. Despite leftist claim that the 2020 riots were not destructive, Seattle previously agreed to pay $3.6 million in a lawsuit filed by more than a dozen business owners and residents whose properties incurred significant damages at the hands of the so-called peaceful protesters, Blaze News reported. And so if you are a business owner or a property owner, and the police abandon you and your business is destroyed and your family is murdered and you are injured, you get $3.6 million from the city of Seattle to share with everyone else who was likewise harmed by that abdication of their responsibilities. But if you are one of the perpetrators of the arson and the murder and the mayhem, you get $10 million because that's the statement of values being made by the government of Seattle, Washington. And of course, you know, we've heard so much about insurrection as of late, right? You might recall, you know, the autonomous zone was purported to be autonomous, okay? They put up a sign that said, you are now leaving the United States. They declared independence and guarded the entrances with rifles. The Blaze, shocking. I I can't believe the Blaze didn't call greater attention to this. The Blaze just says, oh, you know, they forced police out of the area. Yeah, they forced police out of the area. By guarding the perimeter with firearms and threatening to kill people. There were people, there was a black teenager, I believe it was, approached the entrance in a car and the guards opened fire on that person and murdered him. Okay? That's what happened at the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone when they declared independence from the United States and waged a little literal insurrection. They took the police department over. And the, uh, the mayor of the city said, yeah, you know, we'll have the summer of love. Indeed. 217-688-1433, you like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to, so please do give us a call. Caller, you are on the Radical Hello. Agenda. What's your agenda? Hello. Yes, this uh, deal with uh, Greg Abbott in Texas, that was the original plan. The first person that came out with that plan was Carrie Lake when she ran for governor in Arizona a couple years ago and then got this election blatantly obviously stolen uh, from her by the, uh, not necessarily by the Democrats, but by the uh, Maricopa County Republican establishment there that just totally uh, stole the election in 2022. Indeed. But she, she, 
she ran on that. She ran on that. There was a basic thing about her platform. She said as soon as she took her hand off the Bible, in other words, as soon as she was sworn in, she'd she'd be going down to the border with with the Arizona National Guard, and if the Supreme Court wanted to, uh, and, and what he what she said was something to the effect that uh, she would like to see if Biden would uh, put put uh would arrest a, a sitting governor for trying to defend the border. So right. this was the plan, but then Ab- Abbott started to make kind of moves in that direction by by sending National Guard down there, but they didn't do anything. Then they just deferred to the border patrol. That's, he's been doing that for two years. In fact, even before that, way back when George W. Bush was, because I, I was in the National Guard. I know something about the National Guard. And I, in fact, I've retired from the National Guard. That's why I was had enough money to be able to send you $23, a check for $23, which you cashed. Well, thanks for that, so, buddy. Uh, not, well, that's, that's, that's better than nothing, but, uh, you know, I'm, but, uh, I'm not, I'm not like one of these guys that sends you a thousand dollars every, every time, you know, or anything like that. Hey, we so, can't, so. we can't all be Tony anyway, Soprano, you know, but, uh, you know, I appreciate it nonetheless, buddy. You know, I, I you know, anybody, uh, out there who thinks that, the money that they can send me is too small for me to appreciate. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to let those people know they're dead wrong about that, you know? And so I appreciate very much. Well, I, I actually remember that... your, ca- I remember your, your check. As a matter of fact, now that you say it, it's a, it, it's an unusual number. It's usually rounded. So when you say 23, I know exactly the check that you're talking about. And so thank you. Another person I sent money to was Carrie Lake and she's pretty cool, you know? And, uh, uh, but yeah, she had this plan and then, so he's been, but yeah, even back when George W. Bush was governor, which was a long, I mean, president a long time ago, he had national guard down there. And I knew some guys that went down there and worked on that. They, they volunteered to go down there and they said, all they did was just clean out the trucks for the, for the border patrol. So it was, it's just for show, uh, kind of a show of force. Yeah. We got national guard down there. Well, yeah, but they didn't do anything. And the same thing with Abbott. Uh, so the, what he should have done from the beginning is just told the border patrol, "Look, you guys just go, go down, uh, get out of here, go go to the bar and start drinking some beer. Here, I'll give you a hundred dollars to buy some beer at the at the beer joint down there, and uh, and just let the national guard." What she was going to do, what Carrie Lake was going to do, was uh, blow up the tunnels so that the that they have tunnels down there, I guess, the cartels and. Uh, and basically, I mean, the people would, would turn around and go the other direction if you just pointed a, a loaded gun at them and said, hey, go the other direction, go home. Uh, it would not be that bad of a deal. I mean, they're not going to, the illegal immigrants are not going to. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> so I thought that that should be brought up. Carrie Lake was great, though. And one thing about her, she was, she was the uh, premier uh, journalist. She was the... the uh, Anchor lady for Phoenix. I mean, she was making more than a million dollars a year uh, doing that job. Uh, she was, and so she was the premier journalist, which she used to do it, and which she'd give uh, press conferences. To all, and they knew, they all knew each other. So all these Arizona journalists, uh, she'd give a press conference. She she knew all of them because she'd worked, she'd been with them for a long time, and uh, and she'd just give them a lecture on journalism. Hey, you got to. Get your head out of it. I mean, basically, you said, get your head out of your ass and start telling the truth, and, you know. So that was pretty cool. And uh, she's, she's going to be 
uh, senator. Uh, she's going to run for senator. I don't know if it remains to be seen if they steal this election from her, too. But she should be able to win this senator race. So well, you know, thing, you know, too, Terry Leak, uh, I'm sure that you know, you know, there was that audio was recently leaked. Basically, the I guess the chair of the GOP down there tried to bribe her to get out of politics. Like, just take a couple of years off, you know, and then he's like, if I go, if I do what you're asking me, I turn my key, my car goes boom. And it's like, holy shit, you know, I mean, what a staggering admission that is. You haven't heard that? Yeah. Well, I heard about the the tape. Were they bribed? Were they one of the briber? Yeah, they tried to bribe her to get out of politics. I've been meaning to get to that, actually. I'll pull that story up. Uh, I've got it in a tab open yeah. here. I'll, I'll do it after after we get done with our call. But, you know, she, um, she, I don't know exactly. I'm actually unclear on how the audio got leaked. She's she's had this information for a while. Like, she did not go. And this has been, this happened some time back. Uh, and uh, she, she waited because she's ready for the for the opportune moment because she's running for senator and she, she's probably just probably just held on to it for a while because this is closer to the election time i believe maybe that was she's she's very smart and she uh uh that's her thing is the sandbag uh or not really sandbag but to defend herself against all these uh, uh fake news uh and she came out against fake news a lot more than uh even than trump did that one time, uh, yeah, she, you know, she, she comes was off, interviewed by, I, I, like, I've seen interviews with her. She comes off to me like a crackpot sometimes, you know, and I'm like, oh, you know, I, I'm, I, I have, I, I've lacked confidence in her, frankly. And when I, heard, when I saw this story about the, the audio that came out, I was like, holy shit, you know, like, it, it made me take her more yeah. serious, say, you know, and I mean, like, I think that we're, this is the weird, point in our politics i guess that we're approaching we're like you know it, it's it's that it, you know it's it, i think it's too simplistic almost to call it the overton window but like you know this this people who you thought were crackpots five minutes ago turn out to be the sanest guys in the room you know and i think that's certainly the case with her even, yeah, he, even when i totally thought that you know even even I, i've always thought from the from the, the before they were done counting the damn votes it's like they stole the election and so I totally agreed with her that the election was stolen. But like, I thought that like the interviews that she was doing, sort of like she looks at the camera and the, with like these crazy eyes, and you sort of like this woman's nuts, and she's actually yeah. not a very good you know advocate for her, her purposes. I, I felt, but she's she's turned out to be more serious than I had taken her for at first. She looks at the camera like like an acolyte, like a news lady, which is they all do that. They. I mean, that's what she, that's the reason she was successful. She's got beautiful eyes. That's why she looks at, she looks at the camera with these uh, kind of dreamy eyes. And that's why, that's how she was able to make over a million dollars. By the way, you can't say she's a grifter because she gave up her job when she was, she's a multimillionaire from doing that. I mean, she just quit that because of the, they told her, hey, she refused to go along with the, uh, the party line all the time, which was basically fake news, and she wouldn't do that anymore. And then she ran for governor, and then they got stolen. Now she's running for senator. Still got lawsuits going, but uh, uh, one of the key, one of the good uh, moments was uh, 60 Minutes Australia interviewed her, and it was pretty cool because her husband also is a videographer, so they team up and did this. 
So that she, she was uh, getting interviewed by over the phone by this uh, guy in the, and she knew they were gonna they were gonna cherry pick it. They were gonna take it and cherry pick the thing. They always sixty minutes always. Do. In fact, every news outlet does that on any interview. They'll take the uh, things they do they want out of the interview instead of airing the whole thing. They'll take the things that they'll make you look bad. So she. During the course of the interview, she taped the whole thing herself in her in her living room there, and then she released it because she knew they were going to do that and just cherry pick it and make try to make her look stupid or whatever. So she released that to uh, online even before the sixty minutes uh, came out, and it kind of made them look stupid. But they are stupid. They're all stupid. That's why, as you said earlier in your show, that uh, mainstream media and if uh, if it was honest, CNN would be firing everybody too and just just uh, going defunct in uh, MSNBC because nobody actually watches that. They get paid by these uh, interests that purport to uh, purport to. Uh, they do buy advertising, but it's not like anybody they're selling anything with the advertising. They just they buy the advertising in order to. Uh, I don't know why they do it. I mean, the whole thing is is, is just imploding. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but Carrie, yeah, she's one of the few people I've donated money to, and I, I don't, I, I did donate twenty three dollars to you, but I'm disappointed. I thought you'd have everything straightened out in the world by now with that money. Well, friend, you know, if so if, far, if everybody uh, who listened to this show sent me twenty three bucks, we'd solve some problems, you know. But. Uh, yeah. You're 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 among an elite for for having contributed anything, and so thank you very much for that. Well, uh, anyway, uh, what else I want to say? That's about all. I guess I'll just let okay. you go and get back to the unless you want, unless you want me to stay on. No, no, no. I appreciate it, buddy. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna real quick. I, I I've got a couple of things that I want to get to before the end of the show. But you, uh, I thank you for reminding me of the Carrie Lake thing because I'll go into it before we wrap up. And I thank you very much for the call and for that okay. for that generous contribution, my friend. Thank you very much for it. 217-688-1433. If you'd like to be on the program, moments remain. If you want to get on the line, you're running out of time to do that. So get on it, ladies and gentlemen. Find members of the agenda binary, which includes all of you. And so before I go into the Carrie Lake story, this is funny. All right. So I've been meaning for some time to like, you know, this requires some time to prepare, but I really want to do like a hood book episode of the radical agenda and show you just how preposterous this is. <laughs> it's really funny. Pat will remember we did this for like a couple of hours, just like on Telegram, posting links and grabbing, you know, from the from the Amazon show descriptions, uh, book uh, book descriptions. So I'm looking here, I mentioned that one title, Block Party. And apparently, Block Party is actually, <laughs> that's the other feature of these things. They don't know when to quit, obviously, right? It's a common feature with these people. <laughs> and so, uh, Block Party 1 of the Block Party series, it's actually a nine-part series thus far, okay? So <laughs> they'll probably just keep on doing this because they never get sick of talking about how good their heroin is, right? <laughs> and so... Here, here's the Amazon description of Block Party Part 1, published July 5th of 2014. 
in the heart of the city's underworld, Kashmir, a former drug kingpin, emerges from the shadows of federal prison with one goal, to reclaim his throne. However, the streets he once ruled have transformed in his absence. The young underlings he left behind have grown into formidable men who refuse to bow to his authority. Enter the mayor, the new ruler, 10 years Kashmir's junior, wielding an iron fist that commands the entire city. His flashy and dangerous persona, coupled with his block party dope stamp, has taken over every street corner and block, leaving no room for competition. His motto, get out or lay down. As Kashmir navigates this treacherous terrain, he's faced with a stark choice. Reclaim his lost power and ascend to the top where he rightfully belongs or bow down to the new generation. Will he prove himself once more or will the mayor's grip on the city remain unchallenged? Block Party is a gripping urban fiction novel that delves into the power struggles of the drug trade. Join Kashmir on his journey of redemption and discover if he can rise from the ashes and reclaim his throne in this heart-pounding tale of crime, loyalty, and the fight for supremacy. <laughs> and that's actually like fairly well written, you think, maybe, right? You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, maybe there's maybe this isn't complete and utter horseshit. And so if I go over and what's funny about this, uh, <laughs> I remembered this feature of the book, but I wasn't sure which one it was. And it is indeed this book, Block Party, that had this peculiar feature of the font <laughs> that I found so amusing when I was reading it. Right. I remember when I was a kid, like <clears throat> when I first discovered like typing on a computer and you could change the 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 font to like bold or italics or whatever. And I was like, oh, I want my text to stand out. So I should do it all in bold italics. <laughs> the child's thinking about text, right? And I was quickly instructed that like, no, like if you make it all in bold or you make it all in italics, then then actually it doesn't stand out. You just you just have funny looking text. You only use bold or italics to emphasize things that are important, you see. And so, as I opened up this book, as the you know, introductory thing, so we see introduction is in bold italics. The word introduction is in bold italics, and then below that, it's in non-bold italics. And it says, today is my first day home. The last time I saw the streets was August of 93, when the judge sentenced to me to 108 months in federal prison. I was released about 26 months before my time was up. I'm the first one of my crew to make it home. In total, seven of us were busted. They charged us with everything, including organized crime, money laundering, and tax evasion. You name it, we were charged with it. Being that I had no prior convictions and they didn't have any recorded phone conversations with me on them, I got off the easiest. The time of my departure, I was 28 years old. The others ranged from 31 to 38. We were nabbed through our cellular phones. The leader, the eldest member of the crew, ignorantly started doing business with a federal agent. He was welcomed with open arms. 
We fully trusted him, and we were thrilled to see that he sold kilos to us so cheap. That was the bait he used to reel us in. At that particular time, kilos were going for $21,000 a pop. We were getting them at $14,000 apiece. Greed made us accept him without a doubt. He knew everything about all of us. He knew where everyone lived, and he even knew each of our girlfriends personally. Everything was fine until he supposedly came across a cellular phone connection and gave every member of the crew a phone. <laughs> we never did business with him directly. The only two who did business with him were Big Jake and Ab. They're never coming home. The feds have them on tape negotiating a deal consisting of 50 kilos. Big Jake and Ab were the leaders. They bought the work and distributed it to me and the other four guys. Each of us controlled our designated part of the city. Jake and Ab were selling kilos all over the planet. Never did I imagine how much money they were making until we were on trial and all the evidence was brought up. One thing Ab always told us was to mind our own business and only worry about what we were doing. He, his saying was, never look in a man's mouth while he's eating. I always took heed. Besides, I had too much on my own plate. I was only a baby in the game, and I was already getting major loot. Ab always told me how much love they had for me. They admired the way I handled my business and stayed out of theirs. I learned so much from those guys. They taught me all kinds of money-getting tactics and strategies. But now it's over. They're never coming home. No more Jake and no more Ab. Just me, Cashmere. And I'm going to make it to the top one way or another. Just watch me. All of that is in italics, you understand. And you think maybe, okay, well, it's the introduction. So after they get to, like, chapter one, they're definitely going to stop doing that, right? <laughs> and sure enough, you see chapter one, the words chapter one, are not in italics. They're in bold print. And then below that, you see June of 2000, and it's in bold print, non-italics. And there's dialogue, and there's a quote. Baby, are you ready? End quote is in bold, but not italics. Baby, are you ready? Love asks as she hurries to the door. Love asks as she hurries to the door is still in bold print. Let me, if I could probably, oh, I can't. Maybe if I, hang on a second. Let me try it. For the video audience, I think that I can improve this a little bit. Pardon me as I try to. There we go. Try to make this a little bit bigger for you. So you see what's going on here, that the dialogue begins in bold print, and then when he's describing what the dialogue is happening, it's still in bold print. Yeah, here I come, I reply. Where are my car keys? On top of the refrigerator, love answers. That's all in bold non-italics. And below that is in non-bold italics. Love is my wife. We got married while I was in prison four years ago. Don't ask me why such a beautiful person would marry a prisoner. At times, I ask myself that same question. She has so much going for her. She has beauty and brains, not to mention that she has the cutest little shape, petite, but sexy. She's sort of built like a ballerina. She stands at about five feet, four inches. Love is an English teacher at a high school. I met her when she was in college. We would hang out every now and then, but it was nothing serious. Back then, I had way too many women to take one seriously. Shit, I was only 20 years old, and I was already ghetto rich. 
For the entire first year that I was away, all my chicks came to visit me and they wrote to me faithfully, but eventually they all faded, all except love. When I was upstate, she would come visit me uh, every weekend for years. I was totally shocked when she proposed to me. I mean, I felt the same way for her, but I didn't want to play myself by proposing to her and getting rejected. I accepted, and she's been holding me down ever since. That's why I promised her a big wedding ring and the biggest ring I could afford just to show her my gratitude. That's All of that is in italics. <laughs> Damn, baby, you look good this morning. I compliment. Thank you, she replies, blushing from ear to ear. That's in bold, non-italics. <laughs> On the next page, in italics, non-bold. She does look good this morning. She's so beautiful. Like I told you earlier, she's five foot four inches, and she only weighs 105 pounds. Literally, they said this on the prior page. And he's like, oh, like I told you earlier, because I'm going to keep on saying this because I believe that if I put more words into my book, I'm a more successful author. And all of my text has to be emphasized in some way because I'm just that fucking intense. Everything has to be either in bold or in italics, or and when I really want to get going, then I'll do it in bold italics because that's when I really want to drive home the fucking point as I repeat myself from one page to the next. And these books, <laughs> so fucking, <laughs> they're just so poorly done, you know. <laughs> Libertariat says this book is a crime against fonts. It really is. Oh, man, when I read this, and I read that whole book, and I read, like, three or four other ones while I was in the hole, and I just, I had this crazy, like, I, I, I thought to myself, like, I, I should just do the, I got to do some market research on this, you know. Should I write hood books and, like, use, and, like, take up a, what's, what's the, you know, we got to think, what's the, what's the hood equivalent of, like, a nom de plume, right? My nom de hood or something. <laughs> my nom de, my nom de. What's like a, what's the Spanish word for black? Uh, Google translate. No, it's like the French word for black. Uh, to, we want to translate this to French. My my nom de noir, N O I R is the French word for black. My nom de noir, noir or whatever the however the hell it's pronounced. I don't know what you French people are doing. My nom de noir will be. Uh, <laughs> send me an email at christophercatwell.com slash contact and tell me what my nom de noir should be. <laughs> What's my black author name when I start writing hood books? I'd love to know. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> and so I mentioned this Carrie Lake thing. We'll do this before we wrap up here. You know, an audio recording obtained by DailyMail.com reveals the extraordinary moment when what appears to be Arizona's top Republican official tried to bribe populist firebrand Carrie Lake not to run in the state Senate race. Jeff DeWitt, 51, of the Arizona Republican Party, can be heard asking Lake, a close ally of Donald Trump, to name her price to stay out of politics for two years. There are very powerful people who want to keep you out, he tells her in a conversation recorded at the start of March of last year. 
DeWitt Tells Lake, 54, one of the most public faces of the former president's MAGA movement and a woman frequently spoken of as a 2024 vice presidential pick that he thinks Trump will lose and it is time to make way for someone else. After asking her not to mention the conversation to anyone, he makes his first offer. So I got the ask today from back east was, is there any companies out there or something that could just put her on the payroll to keep her out? Lake reacts with indignation. This is about defeating Trump, and I think that's a bad, bad thing for our country, she says. Later, DeWitt, who is chief operating officer on Trump's 2020 campaign, frames it differently. Just say, is there a number at which, he begins, Lake cut in, I can be bought? That's what it's about. You could take a pause for a couple of years. You go right back to what you're doing. Lake repeatedly rebuffs him and says she wouldn't do it for a billion dollars. This is not about money. It's about our country, she says. Two sources confirmed uh, DeWitt's identity as a speaker. He and his press secretary did not respond to multiple requests for comments. Lake's office also did not respond. At the time of their conversation, Lake was publicly mulling a run for the U.S. Senate. And the episode reveals tensions triggered after she refused to accept defeat in the Arizona 2022 governor's race. She emerged as a national figure, becoming a regular on Fox News as she echoed Trump's election denialism that put her at odds with the more traditional wing of the Republican Party who feared a new breed of Trump loyalists may alienate big donors. In October, she announced her run. Lake has previously discussed the extraordinary effort to keep her out of the race, but she never revealed who was behind it. On Monday, Arizona talk show host Garrett Lewis named DeWitt, who was elected party chairman in January of last year. He was a state treasurer of the party before being appointed by Trump to be NASA's chief financial officer. Arizona party officials quickly called for him to step down as news of his offer to Lake spread. If this is, in fact, true, I'm asking AZGOP Chairman Jeff DeWitt to resign, said Maricopa County Republican Committee Chairman Craig Berlin. And my understanding is that since this article was published, I think right before showtime today, Mr. DeWitt has, in fact, resigned. It is the latest in a string of scandals to hit the Republican parties, hit state Republican parties. Earlier this month, the Florida party ousted its chairman after police said he was being investigated for sexual assault. The new 10-minute audio clip includes DeWitt asking for secrecy. Quote, if you say no, it's fine. It's your choice. Just don't tell people, he tells Lake. Later, he sets out the rationale behind the offer. I think what it really comes down to for a lot of people, it's not about like control or agenda, he says. It's about the ability to raise money to win. Lake sticks to her guns. I don't want to make a deal with these kind of people. This is a hill worth dying on, she says. I'm not, if they're going to steal the election and make me and our movement go away, I'm not letting them do that. I owe it to the people of Arizona to carry their torch and their voice. Lake revealed the approach days after it happened. She used an appearance at the Conservative Political Action Conference to describe how someone had showed up to her door. They called me before and said, I got to talk to you in person. This can't be done over the phone. She described being asked to name her price for getting out of politics for two years. Quote, now I'm going to be very honest. At that moment, I wanted to sick my dog on him, she told the audience in Orlando, Florida. But I have a pug, and it wasn't about to happen. (laughs) Ha, 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 that's pretty clever. 
Now, in one of these tabs, I have a story. DeWitt car bomb. I'll just put that in. I'm pretty sure that'll bring up the, the theme I'm looking for. Yeah. No, that's not what I want. Oh, wait. Well, hang on a second. Key? No. You know, this is, and this is obscene, by the way. So, like, in this thing, well, I've so I'm going to read this. This is from AZ Central, published at Yahoo News. It's not actually what I was looking for, but. Well, I've listened to the audio of State GOP Chairman Jeff DeWitt's clumsy attempt to um, persuade Carrie Lake to stay out of the U.S. Senate race, and a couple of things stood out. DeWitt has no future as a bagman. None. Ditto for his future as a state Republican chairman. Update, DeWitt resigned on Wednesday morning. And Lake, she continues to impress as a genius when it comes to fine art or political setup. Her scripted responses to Witt's bumbling attempt to keep her out of the race, conveniently recorded as apparently she wears a wire even to answer her front door, were nothing short of red, white, and well-rehearsed, well put, as was her timing. The tape of the 10-month-old conversation emerges just as MAGA forces are hoping to dethrone DeWitt at the party's annual meeting Saturday. You will recall that Lake T is a story in March of 2023. We just went through a lot of this. Hang on a second. I want to find... Car? No, it's not that. Key? I'm sorry to be doing this with you live. I had this up somewhere. The guy apparently said, one of the stories I read today that I'm failing to find right now, says, like, the guy's like, oh, if I, if I don't, if we don't figure this out, like, I'll go turn the key and my car will go boom. And, like, you hear that, you know, staggering admission. And you're like, well, of course, right? That makes a lot more sense than a lot of what goes on, right? These people are, you know, there was a thing that I, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't get to bring it up, I don't think, on the, I watched it right before the Wednesday member show. James O'Keefe has a really interesting video out where he got some Republican staffer who's basically an undercover Democrat, who like admits this to James O'Keefe. And he, um, the guy is like, oh yeah, well, you know, that, that Madison Cawthorn guy was telling the truth. Yeah, there's these DC sex parties where the congressmen, they go, and then this is, you know, used to blackmail them. It's the whole entire point. It's, this happens all the time, basically, he says. And he's speaking about this very matter-of-factly, and he's actually saying it unknowingly to James O'Keefe. The guy doesn't know that he's speaking to James O'Keefe, but it's James O'Keefe he's talking to. And, uh, you know, they don't use this for every little thing. They don't use it. They're like, yeah, we want to raise taxes 2%. They come in when it counts, right? And so when you see these people who are like, they do everything right, and then all of a sudden, 
You're like, why would they? Why would you? Why would they sell us out at that moment? It's like, yeah, well, you know, they had a vice, and they were preyed upon by blackmailers. But it's not. It's not just that. You know, they threaten to kill them. You know, and they threaten to kill their families and stuff. They that actually happens. That's the ruthlessness of politics. You know, the prize is so fucking grand that there's nothing that they won't do. And it's why, you know, I see people who are like, oh, you know, we can't do this or that because, you know, I have some, <clears throat> I don't, you know, whatever the obstacle is, if, if it's ethical, if it's, you're like, oh, it's a pain in the ass, it's, it's tedious, it's not fun, it's too expensive. Like, well, then actually, like, you deserve to lose the contest, as a matter of fact. It's not, you know, it's not, you know, your ideas being better have absolutely nothing to fucking do with it. These are the people who blackmail people, bribe people, and murder their fucking families. And you're like, well, you know, I could not possibly stoop. My ethical code makes it impossible for me to keep my fucking mouth shut for 30 seconds. And so I am above the indignity of talking about something other than Jews for five minutes. You know, these people have much more restraint than you, and they're going to win if you don't behave. Caller, you're on the radical agenda for the last call of the evening. What can I do for your friend? Hello, it's Hatting. Hello, uh, it's a kind of a frivolous, uh, frivolous call here. Uh, I, w- I wanted to help you with French. You were looking for the French word for black, I think you said. Yes, my nom and, de noir. Uh, you, you, you can't. You, yeah, actually, it's pronounced noir. My not. Um, it's, 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 but, it sounds much classier. Of course, the, we would expect this from the French. You know? Yeah. My nom de but, noir. Uh, let me explain. Uh, well, let me explain something to you. Um, I've told you, I, I used to have a French girlfriend for a number of years. I had a French girlfriend. And. Um, of course, I undertook to learn French, and at first, I was using a, an old book. I, you must have seen these, the Charles Berlitz uh, self-teacher language courses, where it's like a, a little thick book, and it, it, it you know, it had French self-teacher books, Spanish, had German, Russian, and uh, I, I picked up a, a Charles Berlitz French <clears throat> self-teacher book. It was published in 1947, ah. and uh, I learned the the kind of uh, vocabulary that people were using in 1947. So, Interesting. Uh, one of the one of the words that uh, was presented in this uh, Berlitz self teacher book was the word for a, a black person or a black man and a black woman. And the, the word for a black man is le negro. <laughs> le negro. And the word for a, a black woman is la negresse. La negresse. Right? Yeah. Uh, so le negro. I learned that word from Charles Berlitz, which is a good source. But you, then you go on internet chat rooms where there are French people. And you use this word, le nigger, and they get very upset with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but it, it was fun anyway. I, nowadays, I suppose they might say uh, le noir, maybe, 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 or l'Africain, maybe. I don't know what, what word they're using. But uh, le negro used to be a respectable word. And you can say le nom negro, my uh, Negro name, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, um, you know, no, it's got to be, I can't, I, you know, I, uh, no, I mean, I don't know. Now I'm going to have to debate it. But uh, I do appreciate that, uh, that, that finer point on the, ins and outs of the, of the language adding and they um i think uh well that's what it will do i mean that's how we're gonna win hood books buddy uh it's gonna be you know we've tried everything else right you know and so uh that's what i need i need a nom de negra <laughs> la negra uh and once i once i figure that part no, out it's, it's it's a little bit closer to the word nigger than you want than you suspect it's pronounced very almost nigger but it's like nigger okay <clears throat> it's nigger well i'll practice it before the next right. episode but of show it's another here's another here's another word in french that you might find useful it's actually a respectable word and that's la negritude la negritude uh negroness basically but <laughs> they use that word uh as a literary term to describe uh, literature by Negroes, <laughs> you know, it's 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 a point of pride with the Negroes who write French that they exhibit la negritude, which I guess means not imitating white people. <laughs> so that's what you have there. You have you have, in those hood books. You have an American example of negritude. Yeah, that's what it is, the American negritude movement. The American Negritude. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty funny, man. Okay. I'm done. All right. Thank you very much for the call, Adding. 217. Right. Uh, what am I doing reading the number right. off? It's 1140. I'm working overtime. So all you guys who are, you know, like wondering, you're like, why? how do I get the super chats? You know, the like these guys are giving the money during the show. I want to do the money during the show. You just send me money. You don't even have to do it during the show. You're not like, I would love it if you would listen to the live show. You could call in. We could talk. That'd be fantastic. I'd really like that. And then you could give me money and then I could talk about it while it comes in, you know, be great. But failing that, you know, we got the give, slash SPM. My cash app is edgy. Chris, I'll take your crypto and, uh, we'll have a lot of fun going forward. I'm trying to, I, I want to find, I really wish I could find this one. I, there was this one hood book where like she, Hood books, um, revenge, love story. Let me see if that brings up what I'm looking for. I'll find it and I'll talk about it on another episode. Like there was this crazy thing where it's just like this woman gets into a relationship with a guy and she feels scorned by him. And so for 250 pages, she's keying his car and setting him up to be arrested. And like, <laughs> I, I, and I, and I remember when I was doing this with Pat, I think I found the, I think I actually managed to get a, a hold of the full text somehow. And, and I could tell you the end of the story 
which I don't think, uh, I'll give you the spoiler alert in case you actually want to read the book, but you'll laugh your fucking ass off when I tell you about how it ends, because that's the other thing. So like, you know, as a writer, you know, concluding something is very difficult, right? Like you can write about, you know, any number of things and, you know, you try, you have to end things in a way that concludes what you're doing, you know, that's actually harder than your dialogue and your, you know, a lot of the time, not always, but concluding a story gracefully is not, it's not easy to do. And so the, one of the marks of a poor writer is a very bad ending to the book. <laughs> and the way some of these things end, it's like, you could tell they just got tired, right? They're just like, I had to get this fucking thing published. I'll just make up anything. <laughs> I got to do it. I'll, I'll, I'll find the time. We'll do it. But, I'll, but real quick before we, like, I just read this one. <laughs> this is uh oh let me get this down here she's his drug he's her thug Mika was a girl who liked to have fun young and beautiful her life was all about drinking partying hitting the club and kicking it with whatever brother could take her to the next level physically but it all changed in an instant when she found herself at the wrong place at the wrong time and with the wrong man. Having seen something she couldn't have, Mika goes on the run. But constantly looking over your shoulder takes its toll and Mika soon finds herself beaten down by a life of perpetual vigilance. Kane's a thug, one half of a partnership that's growing fast and taking over the streets. He's done a lot of things that can't be forgiven. But one thing he can't forget is the girl who saw him commit a brutal crime, a witness that he can't let walk away. When circumstances force them together, Mika and Kane have no choice but to rely on each other in order to survive. But will the struggle stay alive? Will the struggle to stay alive cause them to ignore the growing mutual attraction between them? Ha <laughs> He's going to go whack a witness to his crime. And he's like, baby, you're hot. Maybe if I just fuck you. <laughs> These kinds of crazy fucking preposterous things. It's so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Have the best weekend with the ones you love and uh, take care of uh, your peoples and whatnot. We'll, uh, we'll be back Monday decidedly better behaved than we were this evening and uh, Wednesday for the members show. And of course, every Friday, 9.30 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time right here on Odyssey and the Get Me Radio app for smartphone, Roku, Fire TV, and if, wherever the fuck else you want to listen to it. I make it best. I do my best to be heard, ladies and gentlemen. See you soon. That's it. It's over. Then we organize the death squads for the people who wrecked America. You know what you call people you can't talk to? Enemies. And if we want to divide our society into armed camps of enmity, all we have to do is keep doing what we're doing. A radical agenda. The event has turned into an opportunity for the left to push a racial and radical agenda. Implementing their radical agenda is the only thing they care about. They're bad actors. What they want to do here is ram their radical agenda down your throat. These are great Americans. These are people that want to see great things for the country. You know, they try and build them like they're of a radical agenda. It's not a radical agenda. It's called the Second Amendment.
fuck you, pay me. <laughs>